Welcome to What Is That, a podcast where we explore the far reaches of the earth to find unique, beautiful living specimens to talk about, like special little snow crystals. We're your hosts, Danielle and Katie, and today we'll be journeying to the chilliest places on earth to find a couple of cold climate critters who, unlike us, do not need sub-zero jackets and little nose warmers to prevent our body parts from turning black and freezing off in chunks. So tuck in those toe warmers, put on at least three layers of mittens, and accompany us to some frozen wonderlands. Where are we stopping first, Danielle? We will be journeying up north to the Arctic Circle and quite literally plunging into the frigid waters to find the animal I will be sharing with you. So suit up, grab your scuba gear, and take my hand as we jump off the boat enter another world together. The Arctic Oceans are teeming with a rich, diverse wildlife, and one of the main pillars of this complex ecosystem will be the polar cod, also known as the Arctic cod. We're getting fishy today. Oh, yeah. Polar cod can be found in a diverse range of Arctic habitats during the different life stages that you'll find the cod. So this will include the open oceans, the nearshore waters to the land and icebergs, shallow waters, deep waters, blackish lagoons. They'll be swimming up little river mouths and everywhere else in between. Polar cod are also the only fish species living inside the Arctic packed ice. Inside of the ice? They're in the computer? They have been found hiding out in little crevices and cracks formed in these large ice chunks. Wow, what are they doing up there? Well, they're able to survive in these freezing, frigid, below-zero water temperatures due to their special ability to produce something called glycoprotein, which serves as an antifreeze in their blood. Oh, yeah. That's going to be the keyword today. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Glycoprotein back in the house. <laughs> if you're a longtime listener, uh, our second episode that we did was called Extreme Living. And Katie first introduced us to the term glycoprotein with this super crazy cool salamander that lives in Siberia. Mm-hmm. So go check it out if you haven't listened to it. Or refresh your memory and go listen to it again. So what does a little polar Arctic cod look like? It's going to be a little bit different than the more famous Atlantic cod that we often think of. They are going to have this lower jaw that's going to be slightly longer than the upper jaw, so that means they have a little underbite. They're brownish along their back, and the sides kind of spindle down. It almost has like this kind of a webbing polka dot-esque and peeking underneath that brownish webbing and coming down their sides and their belly will be this silverish, purplish color almost. Mm. They will have two smaller underfins that will be located right underneath its gills. And they're going to have fins on their sides, kind of behind those gill slits. And then, of course, two dorsal fins along their back. I should note that their fins at the end of their tail, it's going to have this distinct V shape, kind of like fanned out pair of scissors vertically. This is something that the Atlantic cod will not have. 
The Arctic cod or polar cod, I'm going to be using that interchangeably, will also be considerably smaller than the other cod, and they only grow to about 30 centimeters in length. Oh, yeah. I was picturing something super giant, like the big tunas that they find up there. Exactly. So these are going to be definitely a smaller size fish, but they pack a punch, and I'll get that in just a moment. So those are just some of the distinct characteristics of this polar Arctic cod. I want to quickly get into the lifespan or life cycle of the polar cod. They're going to live to be about six years, which is impressive. During the seasons, they will perform what's called dial migration patterns. This means they migrate vertically. Oh, how interesting. So they'll go from shallower waters to deeper waters, depending on the season, rather than horizontally, which we might think of other fish or animals in their migration pattern. Yeah, like traveling, instead of traveling to a different part of the world geographically, Mm -hmm. it probably is like two different worlds going up and down up there. Exactly. So the life of the polar cod, it's going to begin at the egg. And after 15 days of chilling in the egg, this tiny little larval fish is going to hatch. And over a six-month period, they're going to transform from this tiny larval fish to juveniles. So they're going to look like a more distinct fish, not quite full length yet. And after three years of growing, they're going to finally be considered adults. Hmm. Cod are considered ravenous eaters. Their primary diet is going to be plankton. Plankton! They can be known to wipe out entire plankton swarms in a single area with a large enough school of cod descending down and chomping them all up. They are known to be the largest consumers of zooplankton in the Arctic. However, as I mentioned, it's impressive they make it to six years. They're ferocious eaters, but they are also going to be one of the most important food sources for the Arctic ecosystem. They're going to have many predators And to avoid predators, they have a few different tactics. The polar cod can bunch together to form a massive school of fish, kind of like what you see with like sardines and anchovies. They're going to bunch and ball together. But when the fish are living under the ice, they can use the cracks and crevices of the ice sheets to hide. So what enjoys eating this energy nutrient-packed fish? Well, let's start on this list. Basically, any larger fish than the cod. Many marine mammals and seabirds. So, for example, narwhals, narwhals, narwhals. belugas, baby beluga in the deep blue sea, ring seals, <laughs> thick billed murs. I brought you myrrh. Thank you. Murder. <gasps> Judas. And many others who enjoy munching on the younger cod. And of course, humans. Mm-hmm. Now, these ring seals will play a very important role in being a food source for larger animals such as orcas. And so as you can see, the cod, it's really this pillar within this complex webbing ecosystem that they support such a large, di- diverse variety of animals above them, both on land and in the sea. So again, I was kind of touching on this. Why are cod so important? Why am I bringing up this kind of blase-looking little fish? The polar cod plays a crucial role in the Arctic ecosystem. They are going to be the most abundant fish in the Arctic. 
This species' unique ability to live in this cold, frigid world of the Arctic are also, it's going to be to its detriment. The health of the cod population is linked to the health of the ice packs. The warmer the oceans, the reduced ice pack is going to have a big impact on the cod's ability to survive. The cod use the ice habitat for reproduction, safe haven for the young cod. If the cod disappear from this region, you're going to expect to see a very different looking Arctic ecosystem. Yeah, because none of the animals that eat it would be able to survive there either. That's so interesting that they use the ice pack up there as like a little nursery. Exactly. It's kind of like, you know, how coral reefs, they have many different nooks and crannies and crevices to support a large nursery of fish. The ice kind of act as that as well. It's just this security blanket in a way from protection against birds or a wandering seal, things like that. And with those gone, you can imagine all the animals that rely on those animals. That's going to have a very big impact. And then the plankton could boom out of control. Yeah, we could see maybe, you know, different animals coming in trying to take its place. But however, you know, trying to train a polar bear or orca to change what they're known, their diet, their known diet and eating habits. We're starting to see that a little bit. I feel like orcas have been big in the news as of late with them being known to like attack boats And we're seeing orcas do some pretty extreme hunting habits and going after humpback whale young and things like that. I might edit all this out because I feel like a marine biologist is going to be like, no, that's already been happening. Um, (laughs) Looping it back. So as you can see, if the cod is taken out of the equation of this Arctic ecosystem, things are going to be drastically different. Mm -hmm. And the Arctic ecosystem is already a very fragile place. It's a fine kind of push-pull dynamic balance. So when that equation shifts too much to one side or the other, it's going to have an impact that's going to magnify across all aspects of the Arctic ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So all this doom and gloom, what can you do to help? Right now, the Arctic Ocean, it's experiencing something that hasn't really been experienced in our lifetimes right now, and that is we are seeing rapid warming happening in this area. You hear the term global warming, you hear climate change. The biggest biomagnification where we're seeing that right now are going to be at the poles. And that is because our, our carbon sinks, nature's carbon sinks, like the oceans and the forest, they can't really absorb any more of these greenhouse gases. And so we're starting to see water temperatures increase. We're starting to see ice packs melt sooner than normal. Maybe they're not forming as thick as they used to be. We've seen recently there was a big collapse in the emperor penguin chick colony. Many of them didn't make it because the ice melted too soon before the chicks could get their adult feathers and they were still held down. So it's, it's pretty dire and drastic right now. So some little things that you can do to help and I think one of those things is just being aware of your carbon footprint. There's a lot of cool websites out there. You can calculate what your carbon footprint from your daily activities are. And doing that, it made me realize, wow, what I eat has a big impact on my carbon footprint. So knowing where your food comes from. If you're buying apples from New Zealand, (laughs) 
That's going to have a pretty big carbon footprint if you don't live in New Zealand compared to apples grown closer to you or special waters or fruits or veggies out of season. It's it's those kind of little things that I feel like we can start thinking about in trying to eat more local and just being conscious about what we're purchasing and understanding where our food is coming from. I think that's a really good point. Um, I think it's interesting because we are so lucky around here that we do have a lot of really local agriculture and we can, if we choose to, um, pretty much get all of our um, whole food resources from right around here. But still, when you go to the store, you have to pay attention because the little stickers on there will tell you where everything is from. And even though we do grow so much around here, we still are getting foods in from all over the world. There's a ton of from Mexico, a lot of South America, New Zealand, all over the place. Yeah. And I think too, everyone's going to have a different situation on depending on where you live. But just being, a, I think just that first step of being conscious of knowing where your food comes from and what's in your food, that's a big step in being able to take those initiatives to start reducing one's own carbon footprint. And if we all chip in just a little bit, I hope that we can help start preserving what remains of our Arctic habitat and preserving those delicious little cod that all of our favorite poster child Arctic animals need to survive. And I think just having the conversation to start is a great way to start. You can just bring up the Arctic cod and go from there. Exactly. If anyone asks what you're doing, oh, have you heard of the Arctic cod? <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> Now that we have been underneath the ice, seeing these schools of Arctic cod swimming by, these silver flashes flickering in the light underwater, and we've learned a little bit more about the cod and its importance, we can start ascending back up into the boat and checking in with the lovely Katie to see what Arctic animal she's going to be bringing to us today. Okay, so we are going to dock this boat at the nearest shore. Uh, I wanted to find something unexpected in the snow, and I think I succeeded. I wandered the boreal forests, pushed aside some snow, then some leaf litter on the ground, and then I found it. A little tiny frozen frog. A frog? An amphibian. Way up here, just frozen in the snow. In the boreal forest. Yep. It's the wood frog. You may have heard of it. I thought I knew about it, but prepare to learn more and put these guys on the Arctic Nature Bingo card. It's a keeper, folks. Wood frogs, or Lithobates sylvaticus, recently renamed from Reina sylvaticus, Apparently, there was some kind of reckoning from Reina to Lithobates. I didn't look into it. We'll do a scientific drama episode, and we'll put it in there. So always known as wood frogs, they live in the woods. They're forest creatures. They like it wooded. They like it wet. They hang out near creeks, rivers, marshes, vernal pools, ephemeral pools. Can't get enough. They're about two inches long, three inches max, and they like to just blend in. Will it blend? That is the question. You know what I mean? They're kind of a tannish, greenish, brownish, grayish, sometimes a splash of reddish if they're feeling spunky. Apparently the females are brighter than the males if you really know your stuff. They've got a dark stripe going from the snout to the neck called a mask. 
dark bands on their legs. They have a raised ridge of skin on both sides of the back from the neck to the hind end called a dorsolateral fold. That's considered a distinctive feature of the genus. You'll probably never see one, and that's just the way they like it. You can't see me. They're found in northern North America from the top of the eastern United States clear through to the west coast up into the Arctic Circle in Canada. The Arctic Circle. We'll get back to that. But in these forests, there are so many animals, and all I can say is these frogs must be delicious. Mmm, delicious. A longer list of predators I dare you to find. We've got snakes, snapping turtles, raccoons, coyotes, foxes, birds, skunks. A lady, feminine, female, girl, skunk. And that's just the adults. Oh my gosh. <laughs> As tadpoles, they get slurped up by beetles, salamanders, wood turtles, even other wood frogs for crying out loud. How do they even make it to adulthood? I know. I they had to reproduce like crazy. Us. They're kind of like the cod of the land. <laughs> They're the land you cod know, of the Arctic. I was finding a lot of similarities. In turn, just like with the cod, they eat insects, arachnids, worms, slugs, snails. It's a crittery critter world out here which is probably why the lifespan data I looked up was so inconsistent. I settled on around three years in the wild, just three short years. So survival strategy and reproduction are very important. Let's start with the strategy. I'm just going to say it. These frogs spend about eight months frozen. Tonight's forecast, a freeze is coming. Frozen. Most frogs up here will hibernate deep in waters that freeze on the surface, but the floors of these ponds stays liquid. So those frogs never hit that freezing temperature. The wood frog hibernates under leaf litter with snow piled on top of it. Some of these places can regularly hit 50 degrees Fahrenheit below zero. Wow. I know. it's. We've entered temperatures that... Cannot even fathom the feeling of. I mean, probably no feeling at all if you're there for a while. But these frogs, these amphibians, cold-blooded animals that conform to the temperatures around them, survive here year-round. They freeze when the temperatures drop in October. Their livers release an absolute boatload of that glucose, that glycoprotein, which loads up in every single cell. The syrupy, sugary mixture maintains its consistency, it does not freeze, and it protects every cell from freezing, while everything around each of the cells freezes. The heart stops, the brain stops, the blood stops. These frogs are in suspended animation. I was about to say, like, so they're literally just frozen mm -hmm. in a way. They're like, totally How do you frozen. survive with your heart stopping for that long? That's an excellent question. Woodland frog witchcraft. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> no, really. I, these frogs are unbelievable. They have eight months, eight months of being frozen. Then the weather, quote unquote, warms and the heart starts beating. Then the brain activates. Then there's little twitches here and there. And then once the frog is fully up and active, it finds food, 
and it turns its attention to the next most important thing, the ladies. An advantage of these wood frogs is they're able to get into the breeding game sooner because they don't have to wait for the tops of the streams and ponds to melt like their water bottom cousins. Once they're ready for breeding, they find melt pools, which are basically places where snow has melted in a divot in the ground. They're temporary or ephemeral and thus free of predators. The perfect place to find ladies, lay and fertilize eggs, and leave your kids to grow up. Oh, good luck. Good luck to me. <laughs> I know. I, as long as they morph into froglets before it dries up, right? So the males congregate at these melt pools. They get in the water and they float around croaking. Around sunset, you can hear them start up. They sound kind of like quacking. Or for me, after listening, they almost sound more like the open mouth kind of purr chitter that raccoons use to communicate with each other. Interesting. Yeah, we have. I found a really good excerpt of the noise. So if we can figure out a way, we will extract it and put it onto our social media somewhere. It's pretty interesting. We'll put it in right here. Done. Perfect. The females love it. They come flocking. And then there's some confusion. The males apparently cannot visually tell the difference between the males and females. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> They'll start mounting on whomever looks nice to them and figure out pretty quickly who's who. If it's a skinny one, then it's a female who's already laid, jump off. If it's a skinny one that croaks, it's a male, abandon ship. If it's a plump individual that does not croak, then it's a female loaded with eggs, jackpot. <laughs> Here, he'll clasp. She'll release the 500 to 1,000 eggs she has in her. He'll fertilize them. Then they'll part. Talk about simple. Once you find the right one, of course. So the eggs float around in a ball and hatch between 9 and 30 days later. I'm guessing depending on the latitude. The little itsy tadpoles feed on algae and decaying plant matter. The eggs and larvae of other amphibians. They're continually forming into little froglets growing legs and retracting their tails until May through mid-June, they emerge as the little froglets. The males will mature sexually at one year and the females at two years. So with a three-year expected lifespan, I could see why she lays so many eggs. Yeah, she needs her genetics out there quickly. Not only that, but amphibians are having a tough time out there. Their skin is extremely porous, leaving them susceptible to any toxins in the environment. In Alaska, especially by roadsides, they are finding positively alarming rates of deformities in the form of deformed jaws and legs, even so far as having extra limbs in some cases. Wow. This I is know. in Alaska? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, they're suspicious that it could be mercury in the environment. And all I can think of is that these wood frogs cannot be the only animals affected if that's the case. I think it's important to pay attention to what is going on with amphibians since they are so sensitive to the environment. They're like our early alarm bells that something needs to be done before things go too far. Amphibians are disappearing as species at very alarming rates, and we still have so much to learn. When their bodies or when they flood their bodies with glucose, they're tolerating levels 100 times higher than normal, 
whereas humans are in serious trouble if as little as 10 times above the normal blood glucose rates are present. Also, if we can figure out how they freeze and unfreeze these precious organs without doing harm to them, it may lengthen the amount of time we have to do organ transplants, being able to transport them from one place to another. Additionally, if we can learn more about how they start and stop their blood circulation completely without damaging the body's systems, we can figure out how better to help stroke and heart attack victims recover. And all of this is besides their intrinsic value as living creatures on this earth. In my research, I found a mythology of wood frogs from the Koyukon Indians who live in the boreal forests of northern Alaska. I thought it'd be a nice closing story. The story is a frog woman was treated badly and then killed by two cruel boys who carelessly left her body on the ground. Afterward, another boy happened to come along, and he was compassionate enough to bury her. From then on, he was rewarded by good luck and skill in hunting. The little marks we see on the wood frog's back, those dorsolateral folds, are said to be scars remaining from that ancient time when frog woman was mistreated. Ever since, Koyukon people have associated the wood frog with good luck. They have benevolent feelings towards frogs and would never harm or eat them. They also believe frogs have healing powers. Koyukon elders say that when someone has a headache, if they catch a wood frog and put it on top of their head, the frog's throat moving up and down will take away the pain. Oh, how interesting. <laughs> Yet another reason to keep these critters around. <laughs> so that's the wood frog, folks. And here we are. Back on land heading out of the boreal forest, back home to defrost, and share with the world the beauty and wonders of the Arctic. Thank you for joining us today. Have a peaceful new year contemplating the silent, snow-white plains of the Arctic, and join us in January 2024 for an episode of Rebirth and Renewal with an exciting update. Yay! Bye-bye. What is that is a podcast the brainchild of Danielle, championed along strongly by Katie. The podcast is edited by me and Naveed, who has been adding those punchy noise effects for glitter and glam. Naveed is also the creator of the intro theme and is our producer. If you just can't get enough or would like some more visual context for what we talk about here, please visit us on Instagram at what is that, a podcast where we post all the photos of the unique and interesting characters and critters we talk about. And as always, thank you to our faithful listeners that have been here from the beginning and the freshies just starting to dip their toes into our weird world of wildlife. We are certainly always enjoying ourselves and learning and loving new creatures and we hope you take away a weird fact or two to dish out at your next get together or gala as well bye bye <laughs>